0: I noticed so many people, and this is one of the things that make me giggle, they say, go for the impossible, you know? Why would you go for an impossible? It's like saying drive through a brick wall or go for what can't be achievable. By calling something impossible, you've already created a barrier in front of your mind. You've already established and identified that's impossible. So just by saying, hey, go for it, it's like saying go for that full stop, go for that end that you can't go any further. I have a different look at it. I always say go for stupid. What's the most ridiculous thing that you can possibly imagine and dream and go for that? And the way that I translated that into business was I would always listen to what the client wanted and then ignore it. Never give a client <laughs> what they ask for given what they lust and desire for.
1: Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and today I have the pleasure of being live on the line with Steve Stims. Steve, are you there? I am. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. Glad to have you here, Steve. For those of you who've been following along with our travels, my family is currently in Fort Myers, Florida. And Steve, you said you were coming in out of uh, Los Angeles. Is that right? I am, yes. Yeah. Sunny LA. Or oh, it will be. Will be. Later this afternoon after the marine layer <laughs> rolls off, right? <laughs> So what I want to do real quick for those of you who don't know Steve, Um, After reading his introduction myself, it sounds like he's the kind of guy you might want to know. But um, so basically, do you know anyone that has worked with Sir Elton John or Elon Musk, sent people down to see the wreck of the Titanic on the seabed or closed museums in Florence for private dinner party and then had Andre Bocelli serenade them while they eat their pasta? You do now because that is Steve Sims. Quoted as the real-life Wizard of Oz by Forbes and Entrepreneur Magazine, Steve Sims is a best-selling author. With Bluefish, the art of making things happen, sought after coach and speaker at a variety of networking um, groups and associations, as well as the Pentagon and Harvard twice. So with that really interesting introduction, Steve, why don't you tell us a little bit about what it is that you do now? What is it you're known for? Who do you serve and basically what do you do for them?
0: Wow. So there's two answers to that single question, Uh, what I did and what I do. Um, For 20 plus years, I had the uh, most recognized experiential concierge firm that only looked after billionaires. So I looked after people that owned things like countries. Um, And my job was quite simply just to make them more interesting. They would come to me and I would do things like get a drum lesson by Guns and Roses, guitar lesson by ZZ Top, have a walk down the red carpet with Sir Elton John at his Oscar party. Um, Anything that they could think of and afford, I was basically the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people with massive checkbooks. And I did this for 20 plus years. Um, Anyone that's ever known me or seen me now, sees me as this guy that's riding around on motorcycles, tattoos, eyebrow piercing. Um, can't believe I'm the guy that would turn up to, to a billionaire's home and um, you know take, swipe his credit card for three quarters of a million dollars for a fancy weekend. But that's what I did. I was probably the most connected, unknown guy you would have ever met. Um, three years ago, that kind of changed. Um, I was asked if I would write a book. And I declined because the book was going to ask me to name names of all the rich and famous and richer and more powerful people. And quite simply, if I did that, I'd be dead by cocktail hour. So they then came back to me and they said, well, look, would you write the book on how a kid that left school at the age of 15 went into a bricklaying firm in East London and is now working with Sir and John and some of the biggest events and people in the planet? That I got behind because I could now use that to help other people get out of the way of themselves. Bluefish in the book came out. I didn't expect it to be a bestseller. Didn't, we didn't even have a website. That's how bad I was. We did not expect it to, to take off. Um, it kind of did. And it produced a monster. And now I run simsdistillery.com, speak yeah. speakeasy. And I speak literally all over the planet to entrepreneurs and people they really need to be able to think and act differently to get the clientele they want. And as I've always said, if an East layer, if East London bricklayer can be working with the Pope, you're already out of excuses. And so that's what I do now.
1: That's a, That's a really amazing story. So I'm curious then how that actually happened right so we talk on this show about the origin story right every good comic book hero has an origin story it's the thing that Mm. made them into the hero they are today we want to hear that story were you born a hero were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to work with billionaires (laughs) or did you start in a job and eventually move to become an entrepreneur basically how did you get into the business of
0: helping billionaires have cool experiences so i think for a start that No matter who we are, what we look like, where we've come from, what part of the planet or what name we can drop in a a cocktail party, entrepreneurs all share the same dream uh, and the same gene, sorry, not the same dream, the same gene, the same molecule. There's some kind of DNA that connects all entrepreneurs. And I swear, if you cut us in half, there'd be that little purple blood cell that runs through all entrepreneurs or something i'm not saying we should do that but i just believe there is and it's that i call it the aggravation gene the the moment that the entrepreneur looks and goes why are we doing this why why can't it be done better and usually the people that say no are their bosses and their bosses are not entrepreneurial so i don't think you ever learn to become an entrepreneur I think it gets revealed that you actually have always been an entrepreneur and it's just now your time to shine. My pivotal moment in my life was I left school at the age of 15, raised in East London, never had any money, often thought I was poor. um, And I ended up working on my dad's building site. And then one day I walked up the ladder uh, with some bricks from my dad. And as I got to the top of the scaffolding, the first guy next to me was my dad. Next to him was my uncle, his brother, his older brother. Next to him was my two cousins that were in their late teens and mid-twenties. And then next to them was my granddad in his 80s. Now, I was about 16 years old now, and I could see basically every generation, um, yeah, roughly up until my granddad. And I saw my future. I saw my entire life in front of me. And I froze. It scared me. And I went down to the tea hut at break time and I ran over to my dad and my granddad. Of course, I'm 16-year-old. I'm all jumping around, you know, kind of pumped up. And I'm like, granddad, granddad, did you ever think you'd be doing this at your age? Now, I come from an Irish family and I'm still to this day stunned that my granddad didn't smack me in the nose for that comment. Um, But he didn't even look at me. He literally just... He blew, he blew into his tea to cool it down. And he said to me, and I, I'll remember this until the day I die. He said, son, if you don't quit today, you'll be me tomorrow. And it was like, whoa. Wow. That gives me yeah. chills. Like, I, all <laughs> up my arms. <laughs> it did the same for me. I was in a busy caravan with a load of people trying to get warm on a British, lovely rainy day on a building site. And the entire caravan went quiet to me based on those words. Of course, as soon as I came out, i ran up to my dad, told him I had to quit. He looked at granddad, looked at me, and he went, all right, you can quit Friday. And then I do what all entrepreneurs do. We jump out of the frying pan into the volcano. We just end up getting into a ton of things that don't work for us, don't make sense, aggravate us even more. And so I started a journey of trying to find out where I could fit um and the funny place was that i found where i could fit in my darkest hour now i wanted to get away you know we've all heard this story you are the combination of the five people you hang around with well i've always said yeah, yeah. i've always said you are the room that you're in now i remember the most weekends i was in a biker bar with a bunch of poor ass bikers and that's what i was so i literally Uh, ran away. I got the chance of a job from London in Hong Kong, took it, got fired after a couple of days. I'm now the other side of the planet with no support system whatsoever. Because I'm big and ugly, I ended up getting a job, which was a very easy one for me, as a doorman on a nightclub. Okay? Now, I thought this was my darkest hour. I'm now on a nightclub paid to punch people. Yeah. And that was my job. You know, (laughs) I just thought this is my, this is, I, I couldn't get any lower, but you know, the funny thing is working on the door of a club, you suddenly get a beautiful view of humanity. You get to see the couples that are turning up on a date, the people that are turning up to celebrate a contract or a birthday, or getting married, a hen night, a bachelor, or you get to see different dynamics of people. It actually gave me a beautiful place to basically voyeur different styles of people, the rich uh, and those that couldn't afford to really be in there, the tarty girls, the one of the marry a rich guy, the guys who wanted to celebrate a new job, whatever. I got to see every crest that that I wanted to. You got to see the whole spectrum of humanity. It was amazing. And so what I realized, again, I'm very, I'm very, very simple. And my wife often says that, you know, by far, I'm not the, the sharpest tool in the shed, but you talk about hero. My wife has always said my superhero power is the power of ignorance. I learn in nuggets and sound bites and I action those repeatedly. Now I said to you earlier, You are the combination of the people that you hang around with. As I say, you are the room that you're in. I needed to be in a room full of rich people. So how can I make that happen? Now, as a doorman, and this was like in the early 90s, I knew where all the best parties and clubs were. So I became the Google of Hong Kong nightlife. And I only shared that information with affluent people. And then I would start closing the club at like midnight and having a private party afterwards and only inviting rich people, why? Because I knew poor people couldn't afford things because I was poor, I knew what it was like. So I only invited rich people and I I was very focused. If If a person was poor, like a millionaire, I didn't want them at the party, but if they were billionaires and they owned yachts and they owned companies, I would invite them. And I did a lot of my marketing by fax, And I just literally started throwing cheesy little parties that turned into penthouses, that turned into yachts, that ended up me working for people like the Grammys, the New York Fashion Week, Formula One in Monaco. And I just kept on pushing. And along the way, people would say, hey, can you get me to the front of the queue for this limited edition Ferrari? Or can you get me introduced to uh, Surrell and John? Or can you close down a museum for me because I want to do something really quirky for an Italian meal. You know, all of these wish fulfillment things came along the way and I just became the man that can, but you have to understand, I never went out to launch a concierge firm. In fact, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to promote the name because it was never what I wanted to do. This was a Trojan horse to get me to have a conversation with a billionaire and to understand one thing. Why are you rich and I'm not? That was the only thing I ever wanted to know, whatever the pedestal or whatever the platform I needed to keep you vested in the conversation with me. That was all it was. It was a platform. Hey, you want to, you want to meet, you know, a rock band, you know, you want to meet Steven Tyler, Yeah, I'll make that happen. But we need to have a lot of conversations. And that was the only reason. And now I'm able to take what I learned. And that's why I trained that within, uh, within my groups.
1: That's really fascinating. So did it have an impact on your own personal wealth then that as you started hanging out with more billionaires that it lifted you out of poverty?
0: Yeah, how could it not? How could it not? You know, you suddenly realized that there was a standard that they lived at that your, your, your income followed. Um, There's always this saying that people can like live within your means. Okay. And I you, you hear that as a kid, live within your means, you know, budget accordingly, leave this kind of like, you know, that never allows you to taste things like once you've flown, you know, business class or first class, you can't fly economy because it's too cramped. You get off the plane, you're all tight, you're all angry. You have to take a day to work. I can literally get off a plane if I'm going from here to China. And as long as I'm comfortable, business or first class, I can have a meeting in the car from the airport because I'm all ready for it. So you've got to learn the standards that you want to live at. And then you've got to understand what do you need to do. And the first thing you've got to do is focus on the quality, not quantity of client. Now you've got to understand during this time, of me building up this this concierge business to get these rich people, I peaked, absolutely peaked, and I think it was 2004 when money was just falling out of the world, um, I peaked at 93 clients. But on average, we were around like the high 40s, 48, something like that. That was all the clients we had. But when that billionaire's... It really doesn't. You can be buying a house on the beach when you're dealing with five billionaires. So these people, I noticed one thing. They never, ever argued with me on money. They argued with me on value. So I learned very, very early on that people don't want to discuss the price tag. In fact, I will tell you, if you're having a conversation and someone's moaning about the price, then you've done two things. One, you failed to attract the wrong client that could afford you. Or two, you failed to demonstrate the value. Because the the trick, if you want to call it a trick or a hack or a secret sauce, you've got to make the client feel as though they got away with a bargain. You could have charged them twice as much and they would have paid it. So demonstrate the value. And then at the end of the value, And this is what it's going to cost for you to receive that demonstrate the value and then reveal the price tag. Never the other way around, never get into a conversation on money, get into a conversation on value.
1: Absolutely. So um, I find, I find that like infinitely fascinating, especially the idea of whole, you know, living within your means because you hear that so much growing up. And it's one of the things that has always bothered me and I've never wanted to live that way and and don't to this day. It's, you know, one of the reasons we mentioned earlier, my, my wife and I travel full-time and we have been for several years and we're working on buying a yacht so we can travel the world and all that other fun stuff. And to me, it's always been more beneficial or at least it's helped me grow my business when I started thinking about how to expand my means, not live within them. Mm, mm, and, absolutely. And so it's always been a matter of like what what's the next thing that i want to to do and then what do i need to add or grow in my business to accomplish that thing
0: well i've always it's it's funny um you know i race motorcycles so you know you you, you're always looking forward and on on race cars uh on on race motorcycles you don't have mirrors you don't care about what's behind you but everything i do i actually move in reverse so, and I, I mean absolutely everything. Um, so, if I, if I want to achieve a certain goal and I want to achieve a certain lifestyle and I want to receive a certain standard, I first of all identify what is that standard? You know, what do I want? What do I want to buy? Well, I like that watch. Well, that watch is $35,000. You know, can I afford it? Wrong question. What do I need to afford it? That's the question you got to look at. And then you work I in reverse. It? Yeah, you've just got to work out what needs to happen. If you've got a goal and you can fixate on it, then you can go, okay, what needs to happen for me to be able to buy XYZ or to do XYZ? Well, I need to be here. That's really close to it. And then I need to take another step back. And you walk your way back. I was in Nepal and I was at First Camp, which is the base camp of Everest, And um, I was with some clients and I was with a climber and I was in Nepal for a completely different reason. But I'd gone over just to see base camp because I thought it'd be really interesting. And there was one of the guys there that was also kind of like in awe of base camp. And there was a seasoned climber. And the guy was like, how the hell are you going to get up there? And he was pointing up to the top of Everest. He said, I'm not. I'm going to go over there. And then I work out what I do need to do next. And it was base camp, which basically we could walk. We could all walk. Yeah. to. So he wasn't looking at the size of the elephant. He was looking at the little inch that he just had to digest first. I don't have to go up there. I just have to go there. And I'll go from there. You know, so I noticed so many people, and this is one of the things that make me giggle. They say, go for the impossible, you know, Why would you go for an impossible? It's like saying drive through a brick wall or go for what can't be achievable. By calling something impossible, you've already created a barrier in front of your mind. You've already established and identified that's impossible. So just by saying, hey, go for it, it's like saying, go for that full stop. Go for that end that you can't go any further. I have a different look at it. I always say, go for stupid. What's the most ridiculous thing that you can possibly imagine and dream and go for that? And the way that I translated that into business was I would always listen to what the client wanted and then ignore it. Never give a client (laughs) what they ask for, give them what they lust and desire for. And bottom line of it is, if you can give a client what they ask for, then guess what? Amazon is building up a program to put you out of business because we're in a transactional society, Siri, Alexa, Amazon, transactions, human beings, we create, we disrupt, we dream and AI can't do that. So that's what you've got to focus on. Listen to what the client wants, ignore it, and then give them what they actually dream for. That's when you're going to keep a client and guess what? Loyalty Comes by you doing that. It doesn't come by you operating some kind of points program.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, uh, I know. That's one of the ways I approach all of my clients is is always trying to figure out what the uh, the next thing that they could want, um, and helping them yeah. get that. Um, and it's been it's been a tremendous boon for my business. But just to your point of uh, of of learning to expand your means and getting into things, um, I remember like my my favorite sort of story of our, our travels is actually this RV we're in. Um, my wife was pregnant with baby number four and we were in a much smaller RV and we didn't have room for all, all four babies. Once, you know, the fourth one came along and I remember we were sitting there it was December and I was like, the baby's going to be here in March and we don't have a big enough RV for the baby. Um, so, um, I started, started this whole program. I needed about twenty twenty six thousand dollars to, um, get travel to go pick up this coach, um, to buy this coach, to get the down payment for this coach and to pay for the baby and all those things. And, um, I remember sitting there in like right at Christmas time going like, Hey, we need to get all this stuff taken care of. And, um, I was like, we don't, you know, $26,000 at the time was a lot of money, um, to come up with in three months. And we managed, uh, with some client work, some other things, you know, got really creative with it. And within, uh, a month and a half, we raised the uh, $26,000, bought the coach, flew out, picked it up, came back, had it all ready to go before the baby got here and continued on with our travels because it's, you know, it's, it's never about like what you can, you know, like, like if, what do you say? If, if, if you limit yourself to what you think you can do um or, you know, I, you know, I can do this, right. It's, it's a matter of like, what's, what's the impossible thing. Let's just go, you know, you, you called it impossible, the stupid thing. You know? Yeah. Go for um, stupid. Go for stupid and just make it happen, um, and you realize you know you don't really have any limits. Uh, no, you can make anything happen.
0: Absolutely, one hundred percent. You 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 gotta try. You see, when we lay in bed, we dream and we have no restrictions. We wake up and then we allow other people to give us those restrictions. If you wanna, if you wanna dance with the rockets, if you wanna throw the first pitch at a baseball game, go and do it. Don't let some idiot that's never achieved anything tell you you can't do it. Yeah, absolutely. So but one of the
1: things that's I think really vital to that is is both is is knowing what you want. Right? Actually having a desire and allowing yourself to like to to I, I don't know what you call it, like internalize that you actually are have desires and you're worthy of actually fighting for them.
0: Um I don't want to disagree with you on your show. Um, but I, I, <laughs> I do disagree. See the trouble is nine times out of ten, we don't know what we don't know. Um, yeah. I launched a Facebook group called an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims. It's a free Facebook group to basically expose what other people achieve and what other people go for. You see a lot of people's parameters are based on who else is in that room. So the yeah. first thing you've got to do is get yourself into a room of creative disruptors, people that go, Hey, these are your barriers, but these are mine. And the funny thing is when you think you've reached the height of your, ba- of your achievability, you suddenly meet someone that's less intelligent than you, but is achieving more and you go, how the hell are you doing that? But when they're in your room, when they're in your group, then it gives you permission to go, well, hang on a minute. My barriers, my ceilings are way too low. And the daft thing is when you start doing, and it's the same with me, if you had said to me when I was 19 years old, working on the door of a nightclub, hey, are you going to be working with Elton John and uh, 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 Bocelli and the Pope? I'd have been like, are you, are you ridiculous? Are you mental? You know, is something wrong with you? <laughs> um, but when you start achieving things that while your, your force and your passion strives you through, but in the back nagging part of your head, you go, well, I'm not sure I can achieve this. And then you do. And then you do it again. And then you do it again. Before long, you start realizing that nothing's unachievable. And that's where the beauty comes in. You suddenly become empowered. And again, that's the entrepreneurial nature. You know, I guarantee you've been broke because you're an entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs get broke. You know, we try something, we get laughed at. We try something else, we get ripped off. We get hated. We go broke. We make money. We go broke. We make money. We go broke. We go broke again. And then we make... But along that journey, we learn the empowerment of what needs to happen. So that when you do sit down and go, okay, baby number four in an RV, which for argument's sake is just, I can't even put that in a word. how so ridiculous <laughs> that sounds, but you turned around Well, went, okay, I need this, 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 this. Now let's make it happen. Okay. People are still sitting there going, when am I going to get it? When am I going to get my break? When is someone going to give me an opportunity? When am I going to be given something? We're not in a gifting world. We're in a world where we've got to position ourselves and we've got to opportunitize everything that's available to us. We're in COVID at the moment. You've got two choices, play the game that no one knows the rules of yet or sit down and binge watch Netflix and just gradually slowly die. So (laughs) those are your two choices at the moment. And I'm surprised at how many people are taking option number two.
1: Far more than I would have imagined, but uh, I also, you know, to to your point of being in a room full of people who are pushing you, I have a whole group of people in my life that every single one of them has grown their business and grown their grown their, their life as, as a result of this uh, coronavirus. So you can yeah. certainly choose option number one, and there's a lot of people that are, um, yep. and I think those that do are gonna um, have have really huge businesses at the end because it's you know it's dramatically changing our culture.
0: It absolutely is. And I'm stunned at how many people think that they can sharpen their tools when they're on the battlefield. When there's not a fight, that's when you learn how to fight. That's when you perfect your fighting skills, because when the fight starts, it's too late. What's going to happen is a vaccine's going to turn up. The thing's going to bloody disappear. We're going to become immune. I don't know. But one of those things are going to happen. And we're not going to be having this conversation about COVID next year. And when the, when the green light goes on and the curtains are pulled back and we're all allowed back out into the world, those people that have been benefiting and focusing and sharpening that tools during COVID are going to have an unfair advantage to conquer. Those people that suddenly go, oh, we can go back now they're going to be in first gear for the first lap and it's that going to get lost. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that I did early on um, with my group
1: of people was I put together a training that I put out for free and I was like, Hey, everything is shut down right now. Now's a good time to work on perfecting your business systems. All the little stuff that makes your business run, like here's how to build them and make them stronger and make them you know, work really, really well. And did, I did some training with a bunch of people on that, which was super fascinating. I've been doing the same thing in my business. It's like, Hey, you know, everything's slowing down. When it slows down, work on, work on things that are hard to work on when it's going fast.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's the beautiful thing. You see this COVID COVID is a fantastic opportunity. See, when you've got a recession, there are still people in business, you know, the rich again, richer buying, um, you know, cheap homes, cheap cars, but we had everything stopped now. Now I know in past recessions, I would go out and negotiate and purchasing things because they had inventory. Well, because all the factories were shut down, there's no inventory now. So we are in a completely strange environment where not just you have been shut down, but also your competitors have been shut down. So it's been a brilliant time for you to be able to go, okay, fold your arms and go, all right, how am I doing? Is this where I was supposed to be five years ago? How has my trajectory been? How is my focus? What baggage am I carrying? It's a great time to spring clean your mind and your business to be prepared to be leaner and stronger when you come out of this.
1: Absolutely. Um, and it, it's, it's, a, it's a unique opportunity. Like, I don't think anyone has seen anything like this before to have like everything just sort of stop. No one has. And give you the time to, to make changes. And I think, I think we're going to see to, you know, your old clientele, more billionaires and multimillionaires created as a result of this than probably any uh, anything we've seen in the past.
0: Yeah, 100%. No one's ever seen a pandemic before, um, even from the people that had the Great Depression. Most of those are dead or not in a position where they need to worry about work on a day-to-day basis. But um, the bottom line of it is we're in a disruption now, and there will be other disruptions, recessions, political upheaval, uh, a virus, whatever. <laughs> New monetary system. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There's going to be other disruptions that come along. There's habits that are being formed now, which are going to dictate how we look at things in the future. So there's a whole world of distraction and distortion, which creates us to become uncomfortable. A good entrepreneur, a focused entrepreneur, is comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's what you've got to focus on. Don't care about what it's called or the title, but when the next little disruption comes along, if you know how to get your head straight on this, you'll be fine for everything else.
1: Absolutely. So I want to talk a little bit about your superpower, right? You mentioned it a minute ago when we were talking, but, you know, every iconic hero has a superpower, right? Whether that's a fancy flying suit made by a genius intellect or the ability to call down thunder from the sky. In the real world, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or developed over time that really energize everything else that you do, right? It connects everything together for you. And the superpower is what sets you apart. It's what allows you to help the people in your life slay their villains, right? And come out on top in their own journeys. So with that sort of framing, what is your superpower?
0: You know, I would love to say that it was one of those that you mentioned. Um, I'd love <laughs> a super suit that made me look slim. Um, that would be cool. When it just... It's ignorance. Uh, it's it's really... Uh, as a kid growing up in the in the 90s, we didn't have all the social platforms to validate how inadequate my life was. So I didn't putting that. Yeah, I didn't notice these things. I didn't know anything about it. So I wasn't scared of it. I was ignorant to it. And as I grew up and I started communicating with rich people because they were rich, you know, I wasn't scared of them. You know, I would just have conversations, me and them. Um and so I was very ignorant. I'll tell you a story, um, I, and I didn't know the impact this story would have on me until later on in life, which is, you know, most common with pivotal moments. But I had gone into this pub with my two buddies, and we were playing. Uh, we were playing the, you know, the, the, the pocket the pocket bank account kind of thing, you know, where you put your hands in your pocket and kind of try to work out how much money you've got in there and how many beers you can buy. And there'd be three of us. and so maybe call between- that uh, HIP National Bank, HMB. It- Hip- exactly. And I remember, you know, usually there'd be three of us, so we'd all be able to buy a beer. Maybe we'd be able to buy, with all of our collective money, maybe two more beers and just divide it between us, you know. But it was that kind of thing. And I used to hate that. And I walked into this bar one night with my two buddies. And uh, there was this guy in our local, uh, local area of London that he owned the local supermarket and he owned the local gas station, okay? Now, in my little area, my little pocket of rough London, this was like walking in and seeing Richard Branson in your room. You know, this was <laughs> like the almighty businessman. This was, a, this was a guy that you knew about in your area but very rarely saw him, you know, because he, yeah. was, he was too big for us. And there he was in our pub. And my buddy was like, oh, that's so-and-so. He's filthy rich. He's very powerful. He owns, you know, the supermarket and That's him. And before I thought about it, I walked over to him. And I went, hey, how you doing? You're so-and-so. My name's so. You don't know me, but I just thought I'd come and say hi. And we started chatting. And I thought to myself, if I want to be rich, am I going to get rich by talking to broke people? Or am I going to get rich by talking to rich people? But I, was, I had no fear of having the conversation. And the funny thing was, as I'm talking to the guy, the guy was just about to order a drink. And he went, oh, I'm getting, do you want a beer? And I went, cheers, man. Yeah, I'll have a beer. And he bought me a beer. This was like me getting an Oscar. You know, <laughs> I had just, nice. I had got a beer and I had not had to pay for it. For me, that was a major win. You know, I felt like I was gonna have to give a thank you speech. Um, And I'm sipping my beer, and I literally turned to the left of me to talk to my buddies, to wonder why they hadn't been offered a beer. And when I turned around, I noticed they were leaning up against the wall at the furthest point of the pub, looking at me. Now they had their beers that they had paid for, I've got a beer that I hadn't had to pay for. I'm now talking to a guy that has business knowledge and has money, has the cars, has girls around him. I couldn't understand why those people hadn't walked over and I had, it made no sense to me why you would pin yourself, against, literally pin yourself against the wall so as to be the furthest possible what point you could be away from this guy. My intellect was if you've got something and I want, I'm going to talk to you about it. If you know something and I don't know, which is pretty much everyone, I want to find out what it is. If you've got some secret source and I haven't, I want to know what your source is. I'm the, I'm, my wife jokes that I'm a 54 year old, four year old. I'm the guy that walks up to anyone going, how did that make you feel? How did you do that? Why is that important? And I will ask the question. And so I think my superpower was the fact that I had no fear and I'll name drop and give you a a little story that validated that to me as the years went on. So I was doing an event with Elon Musk about five, maybe six years ago, uh, just before NASA took him on as uh, a client. Okay. Or vice versa, you know, depending on which camp you look at, but um, (laughs) when, when Elon was a privateer within the space industry, and I was down in SpaceX, down in Hawthorne. And I'm walking through Hawthorne because uh, we had a room full of all these billionaires that were going to meet Elon. I went over to get him, and I had two of my clients with me. And uh, one of the clients was just happy to be in the vicinity of Elon Musk, and the other one wanted to have a conversation with him. So as we're walking towards the room where all the other billionaires were, my client wouldn't shut up. He was trying to engage Elon in a conversation and Elon's not a very conversational guy. He doesn't waste chit chat. And my guys, like, Oh, how did you do this? Oh, what did you think about this? And just to a point, actually verging on getting annoying. And I thought to myself, I'm going to have to lean over in a minute and just tell him to shut up as we're walking through the SpaceX plant. And he turns around and he says, Hey, Hey, hey uh, Mr. Musk, um, How do you feel about NASA publicly taking on, because there had been a report that they had taken on this group that would spend all that time basically taking the piss out of whatever Elon would tweet, you know, and would basically ridicule him for being in the space industry. And he said, yeah, how do you feel about the fact that NASA has, has now come out that publicly they've got a group that just like to diss anything that you say within the space industry? And Elon didn't even break (laughs) stride, didn't even look at this guy. I was annoyed at the question, but Elon turned around and he said, you know, as an entrepreneur, they always laugh at you before they applaud. And I really, the thing that I noticed was any entrepreneur, first of all, looks at the source of the comment. If you are getting ridiculed by the largest space industry in the planet, that actually focus on you, then maybe you have something, you know? And so, Absolutely. exactly. Be so successful that you have haters. Be so good that people steal your shit and replicate it. You know, that's when you know you've got it. Don't look at the negative in it. Look at the positive at it. And people will laugh at you always before they rejoice and applaud. And I've yeah, had yeah. it. I've had people that when my book came out, Um, because I worked for authors and because I had uh, put events on uh, for companies and had these very, very well-known influencers and thought leaders, I had a lot of these people as friends. When I came out and started just saying what I thought, the amount of them that actually tried to get me to shut up because I was actually calling it as it was, and the amount of times I would see someone there was a thought leader that was sitting on a jet that didn't even take off just so he could get the selfie of him on a jet and go strive for your goals. And you too can have this life. And that life was fake. And I live in Hollywood. There's an airport up the road where you can literally uh, rent an hour and be on the jet for any kind of filming. It won't start up. It's hot as hell in there on a hot day because there's no air conditioning but they will take pictures of themselves on that plane with a bunch of girls making out as though they got a private jet and that kind of <laughs> bullshit. I was just calling out and I would get people constantly going, Steve, you know, you know, the way the game's played. And they were like, no, I don't. If you've got it, talk about it, but if you're faking it, shut up and move on. And, and that's what I loved about Elon. Elon looks at the person that's saying something before he listens to what they say. And if the person's inadequate, that's taking a jab at him, it's like a gnat. He doesn't even listen to it. But if the, someone's got value and substance that's having a go at him or complimenting him, then it's either a compliment or it's a compliment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's, a, it's an interesting way to, to look at, um, at everything that's going on, right? Because you want, you want to be working in such a way that you're unignorable, right? And oh, I know that's,
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, a, that's the way that I've gotten all all the uh, the cool relationships I have in my life with with people in my industry have always been about like, how can I become unignorable to this person? Um, and generally, you know, it's it's some some way of providing value to them. But, you know, that's just networking stuff. But when you become unignorable, good or bad, right? <laughs> it generally means you're doing something right. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> cool. So my next question for you then is the flip side, right? The flip side of your superpower is your fatal flaw. Right? So every Superman has his kryptonite and every Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad. Um, so you probably have a flaw that's held you back right in business, something that you struggled with. Maybe like for me, it was things like perfectionism which kept me from shipping um, products before, you know, I wanted to tweak them a little bit more or lack of self-care, which means I let my clients walk all over me when I was a younger entrepreneur. Uh, But I think more important than what the flaw is, how have you worked to rectify it over the years so that you can continue to grow in your life and in your business? So the people who are listening might
0: learn a little bit from your experience there. So at the ripe old age of about 12 year old, I shoved myself on someone else's moped and I learned the glory of two wheels. And I've always been on motorcycles. I'm 54 year old now. I'm, I'm here in my studio, which is also my garage. And there's 19 motorcycles around me and I don't have a car. So I absolutely love um, motorcycles and I'm always wearing a black t-shirt, um, black jeans. You know, it's just me nine times out of 10, you'll see me with a crash helmet in my hand. There was a point about seven years into my business, when I was dealing with billionaires. Now, seven years, I already had some powerful people. I already had a great apartment. Um, And so life was good, but something suddenly triggered in me that made me think that visually I didn't look appropriate. I didn't look adequate. I didn't look credible. So I went out and I bought tailor-made suits. I bought Uh, a 50 grand watch. I bought a Ferrari and I started turning up in this suit, to events that I normally would just pull up onto a motorcycle, put the crash helmet on the bar and then get on with the event. I now started turning up in a suit and stuff. And there was one big party that I attended in Monaco that I drove from Geneva. I was living in Geneva at the time. I drove down in a Ferrari with a suit, all looking really puckered and beautiful And I I did the party, and I came back, and I'd had my wife take loads of photographs of the event. And there was photographs of me all over this Ferrari in a suit. And I noticed one thing glaring. I wasn't in that picture. The car was, some fancy bugger in a suit with an overpriced watch. Someone trying to show off was in that picture. It wasn't me. And I got very depressed about it. And I thought to myself, you know, is it me? Is it the world? Is something changed? Is my marketing, my messaging, my branding? And I'd never focused on branding. And a couple of nights later was an event that goes on in Geneva that I'd gone to. And every month you would go to this event. And for the last few months I'd gone to in this suit. And I thought to myself, something must be, I'm gonna go, cause I I liked the barman and he made me good old fashions. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna maybe try and work out what's going on. So I turned up at this event and I'm having a drink. Now I turned up back on a motorcycle in my black t-shirt and the last two times I'd been there, I'd been in a suit turning up in a Ferrari. And you know, when you go to these events, there's always people that you know, maybe their first name, but you know nothing else about them. You know, yeah, they're not yeah. your kind of person, but you know, they're like, hey John. And that's as much as you know, and that's as much as the interaction ever is. So there was this annoying guy that used to go around chatting away from everyone. I didn't take a liking to him. He wasn't my person. And I'm at the bar. And as he walked past, he went, Steve. And I went, I can't remember what his name was, but it was probably John or something like that. I went, Hey, hey, John. And he turned around and he said these words. He went, I haven't seen you here for months, man. How are you doing? <laughs> now, I'd never, ever missed this event, never missed it. But the second I changed, I was invisible. People didn't see me because I wasn't relatable. I wasn't flaws at all. It wasn't me. And I realized I had spent months exerting energy on being somebody that I wasn't. And I realized that night, I'm not going to waste that energy. Just like an iPhone, you know, it runs out of power. Why, why waste the power on something that's not relevant? So I decided at that time, I was never going to spend an ounce of energy on being anyone else that I wasn't. So I got rid of the suits, got rid of the car, went back to the motorbikes and it was a very powerful six months of my life. But I realized I was not going to sell out me, my only valuable asset.
1: So question is, did you keep the fancy watch though?
0: Actually, I, I did for (laughs) a little bit and then I sold it and bought two motorcycles
1: there you go. Two motorcycles. See, that's a, that's one of the things that I've always, um, I, like, I don't struggle with it now as much as I did. But um when we first started traveling, right, I'm I, because of that, because it's the thing that I, I've always wanted to do since I was like 12 years old. Um, we have a pretty minimalist life, right? Yeah. I like I, I have, I have a grand total of three shirts, right? Three button up shirts, that, and that's it, right? And I have four t-shirts. One of them got stolen the other day. I've got now I've got three t-shirts and three button ups. <laughs> that's it. So if if you watch this whole show, um, I think this is, you know, we're right around 100, episode 150, I'm wearing the same one of two or three shirts in every single episode, right? It never changes because I'm just like, I'm, I'm that minimalist <laughs> <laughs> and it always, it always like, it always bothered me when I was earlier in my career, wondering what other people think about me, if I'm actually looking the part and realize that, um, at some point it doesn't matter, right? Cause they're not thinking about you. They don't give a damn. They care about, no. you know, about your relationship with them and how you interact in their story. Right. The impact. Uh, yeah. The impact that you have on their life. And that comes from the experiences you have together. Right. And it comes from the impact that you have on their life and that kind of stuff. And that's, that's so much more important than you trying to fit yourself into some mold you, that you think they want you in. Right. Cause the reality is, is they're not thinking about you that way. Right. That's they don't give right. a
0: damn. Yep. Totally.
1: <laughs> so, yeah, that's a, it's a really good, good point. So, my, my next question sort of following to that is, once you sort of made that realization and started to just sort of own who you were, how, how did that realization impact your business and your growth?
0: So I lost a lot of clients and that's not the word you want to be hearing, but I lost a lot of people that fell in love with the fancy gear in the suit and the Ferrari that I had no relationship with. So I lost those. I started panicking thinking, shall I go back to my suit? But the funny thing was I noticed I had a connection with the clients that remained with me because there was a me and them relationship. It was superficial with the other people that had bought into the Ferrari guy. So it was easier for me to deal with these people than it was for me to be someone else to deal with those people. So I found that my life got easier. I got more relaxed. And by being relaxed and easier, I was impossible to misunderstand. And therefore I attracted those that I could connect with. You see, I love there to be two. I either like to um, uh, aggravate or attract. Okay. I like to relate or repel. I want to make them a trigger that's, that you can turn around and go, I like this guy. I'm going to stay in his sandpit. Or I don't like this guy. I'm out of here. Both of those responses work well for me. Okay. And and I take no disrespect. In fact, I'm thrilled that that's the way it actually is. So there was a small time where I lost all of the superficial clients. But over a six-month period, I was three times up. And now I wake up in the morning and you talk about your shirts. I've got a long line of black T-shirts, okay? <laughs> and I just literally go, I shut, hand up, T-shirt on, you know? Um, and that's it. So I just put a black T-shirt. Today I've got a black hoodie over my black T-shirt because it's a bit chilly here. Um, but that's it. It's very easy and I have no energy to, to, to yeah, worry yeah. about trying to be someone else.
1: That's one of my one of my things. All of my pants and all of my shirts match, so it doesn't matter what I pull out of the drawer in the morning. I can just wear it. <laughs> uh, so, so I think that it's actually a really powerful point. The whole idea of being attracting and repelling people, because it's something that I've I've talked with all of my clients about, is learning how to. Um, we, in in my business, we talk about building a heroic brand. Right. And um, and what it actually looks like to build a heroic brand, because a lot of the people that I work with are educators and they're, you know, they're authors and they're speakers, those kind of things we're talking about, you know, building themselves up as a heroic brand. And one of the things that we talk about is finding out who your what your personality is and then picking the pieces of your personality that are really you and learning how to turn those up, right, how to amplify yourself right um and when you learn to amplify yourself and amplify the pieces of your personality that really like speak to you what that does is it creates that dichotomy right it creates that dichotomy of the people who are going to love you or the people are going to hate you and that that's a magical place to be in where where your your personality or your brand whether it's just an individual or your business's brand you want you want the kind of people who like, you know, they put up the tip jar and they say, you know, do you, you know, if you like Apple put it in here, if you like Android, put it in here, you want that kind of dichotomy for your brand, right. For people to look at you and be like, I either love him or hate him because that that's a powerful place to be for your, for your business. And it's fascinating to me that like you, you discovered that through, through this <laughs> really fancy bit of, you know, buying Ferraris
0: and fancy watches and things. Yeah. Yeah. I found, I found out where I didn't fit. And that's very valuable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's a it's a
1: hard pill to swallow too, because right, like you, we th- we grow up thinking like, you know, what is it, Mister Rogers' Neighborhood? You want everyone to be your friend, kind of thing. And that's yeah. it's just not real life. Nope, nope. <laughs> cool. So my next question, this will be interesting, is uh, your common enemy. And generally, we put this in the context of your clients, right? The people that you work with. So every superhero has an arch nemesis. It's the things that they constantly have to fight against in their world. In the world of business, it takes a lot of forms, but generally speaking, in the context of your clients, it's a mindset or a flaw that you constantly have to fight to overcome with them, right? So that you can get them, you know, the results that they're looking for, right? So if you had your magic wand, and you could just bop all of your clients on the head, right? When you started working with them and, you know, get rid of that mindset, what would that be for you? What's the common enemy, your arch nemesis, so to speak?
0: Um, I think my arch nemesis is, um, Becoming like everyone else. Uh, you see, it's easy. You've got these social feeds now. And there's a reason it's called a feed. You've got to feed the bloody monster. Um, so you've got to make sure you're on social. You've got to make sure that you're always saying something of impact. You've got to make sure you're always posting. Um, because if you don't, your competitive is. And it, you, you've got to make sure that you're not posting for posting. So, you can very easily just have like 30 brilliant memes, and just every day it's like, be the man you want to be. You know, you can do this or go for gold. You've got to make sure that you're not just becoming like some kind of meme toilet paper of, of no impact and effort. So, I think it's, I've seen some people that I think are very smart that because they've realized they've got to feed something, and like all entrepreneurs, I could say to you, you know, what is your favorite drink? And you could go, it's a glass of wine. And I could say to you, okay, five o'clock every night, you're going to be given that glass of your favorite wine. Bottom line of it is, I reckon maybe you'd go about six days before you get aggravated, that it has to be at five o'clock. Because entrepreneurs, we strive um, to conquer and to control, but we don't like it in reverse when it's controlling us. So even if we like something, being told we got to do it at five o'clock, as an entrepreneur, we'd start doing it Kisses at five are. to five or we'd start doing it at five past five. We would start fluctuating it to gain that control back. So when the social feeds are telling us we got to populate it, I think the downside is that you, it's very easy to lose your true spirit and momentum, passion, voice, tonality when you have to start doing it. So you've got to be careful of not becoming um, a, a joking, fake meme in this world of fake gurus
1: yeah i think uh one of the ways that i've personally dealt with that when i totally get the whole you know if it, if they tell you to do it you don't want to do it because every time i see a road sign i'm like i just want to break the road sign because it's there right like break the rules yeah. um go the wrong way on the street but the uh the with with the being real on the social feed um i have found at least personally that you have to not look at the feed as the thing that you're trying, your thing that you're trying to do, right? You have to actually live life, right, and have experiences and meet people and build relationships and build cool things, and let your feed be a reflection of that, right? If 100%. you're trying to, if you're trying, if you're trying to just make the feed be your original life, then it's 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 horrifyingly bad for yourself and then for also building an authentic, you know, audience. It's gonna go wrong.
0: Yeah, it's gonna go wrong.
1: One hundred percent. Yeah, that's cool. So then my next question for you is the flip side of your common enemy, which is your driving force, right? If your common enemy is what you fight against, then your driving force is what you fight for. So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. (laughs) You want to know what it is that
0: you fight for your mission, so to speak. Style. Um, It's weird, but I, 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 I try to fail as much as I can. Um, My fear which drives me, my fear is that I would be the same person next year that I am today. I need to strive to achieve, to grow, to experience, to taste, to feel, and I want to constantly push those things out. Um, so I I've noticed that if anything stands still, it gets cut down or it goes stagnant and it dies. So. My, my focus is to always strive to grow. I remember someone saying to me before that the definition of hell is to have meet the man meet the man you could have been. And I don't ever want to meet the man I could have been. I want to be the man that I am.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a really powerful thought, right? To to meet the man you could have been.
0: Yeah. It was uh, Joe Polish. And- it wasn't me. <laughs>
1: I was, uh, I was just uh, last night before, before bed, I went through and pulled out a whole bunch of essays I'd written over the years and was looking at stuff from like before I had gotten married, like 12 years ago um, and reading some of the, the things that I had with my wife and going over some of that stuff. And it was just, it was fascinating to me to see like who I thought I would be and who I am now and realizing that it was like, because of the stuff that I was striving for um, I hit and exceeded all the dreams I had for myself 12 years ago, which is crazy. Um, but a lot of that comes down to realizing that you just, you have to constantly be striving for something, right? I tell people that, uh, um, you, you have to, you have to be satisfied with your, where you're at, right? You have to be satisfied here and like be content, but you also have to have somewhere where you want to go, right? You, you know, be satisfied and have a journey, right? Yeah. Cause it's, it's. It's the the experience of actually living and going out and doing things and striving for something forward that grows you into you know, the better person. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) So my next question for you then is a practical question, right? Um, I call this the hero's tool belt. And uh, it's, you know, like every superhero has their uh, awesome gadgets like Batarangs or Web Slingers or Laser Eyes or, you know, like Thor Big Magical Hammer. Um, Talk about top one or two tools you you use in your business that you couldn't live without. Could be something as simple as your notepad or your calendar to your marketing tools, to your product delivery.
0: Anything that you think is essential to getting the job done that you do now. So, there's two things, and you just named one of them. One of them is my pad and pen. I love to write things down, not type them. Um, I will type them after I've written them down, but I have a notepad in like, like about three or four places in the house and a pen, and I'm just constantly writing things down. So, my pad and uh, uh, my pen and notepad uh, are integral for me to be able to. I, I've got one here. Um, I constantly have to be able to go, oh, you know, and do that. Um, my second thing may be the weird one, is a motorbike. Um, When I'm on a motorbike, I can't be drinking a cup of coffee. I can't be answering the phone. I can't be giving anyone a lift anywhere because most of my bikes have just got a single seat on them. Um, So I'm free. And when I'm free, I'm able to reset and then come back to the world and then get back into it. So it's that escapism. So it's the notepad to be able to influence what I'm going to do. And it's my motorbike to get me away from everything for five minutes. So when I get back, the priorities click into place. That's
1: awesome. Yeah. I um I, I can't do the notepad thing, so I write it down, it's gone forever. Like in my head, it's just lost. So I do them on I have a little the notepad I keep in my phone because then they're actually there. But I have the same right. kind of thing, right? Like I always have to take notes on it. My little free thing is kayaking, right? Because you know, I got my little one person kayak and we travel, I stick it out of there and we go out for a couple of miles in the uh, by myself. Um, and it resets, resets everything. So it's a, it's a, a powerful skill. And it's also one of the things that I wish more entrepreneurs had in their life. Um, I call it giving yourself permission to play, right? Yeah. Because you have to, we, for whatever reason, I've noticed a lot of entrepreneurs really struggle with this idea that like, I haven't worked enough to earn my play time. Right. And they don't realize that learning how to actually to integrate play into your life. Um, and I know that's a simple word to use for it, but you know, recreation, those kind of things are actually what's, it's sort of the foundation for doing good work, right? Yeah, you, it is, yeah. So you have to find a way to integrate that into your life and give yourself permission to play. Um, Cause then you can go out and actually do good things and make an impact in people's lives. <laughs> Speaking of heroic tools, I wanna to take a few minutes to tell you about a tool we built that powers the Hero Show and is now this show's primary sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand creates fame and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. The struggle ends now, introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to the Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. Cool. So, uh, only a couple more questions here for you. Next one is about your own personal heroes, right? So, every hero has their mentors. Frodo has Gandalf. Luke has Obi Wan. Robert Kiyosaki has Rich Dad. Spider Man has Uncle Uncle Ben. Who were some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors, speakers, authors, maybe peers who were a couple years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you've accomplished so far?
0: I have a great um, belief that we should listen to everyone. Um, if it doesn't resonate, then, then, you know, walk away from it. But it's amazing how so many people have an opinion that could help you. And they may not even have anything to do with your business. Um, I am very fortunate along the way to have friends like, uh, Joe Polish, Jay Abraham. So I've got some high profile friends, but I still stay in touch with some of my boys from London. Um, that just have a way of getting into me and asking me questions that challenge myself. You know, I got Joe Polish and Jay Abraham, but I'd give a shout out to Colin West. Um, and he hasn't written a book and he hasn't, um, you know, spoken on stage. But he was, it'd be as much of an influence on how to be a man as uh, any of the other celebrity friends that I have. So um, I would say those people.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's uh, always fascinating to me when I ask that question, because one of the things that strikes me is everyone has those quote unquote, normal people in their lives who wouldn't even suspect themselves that you might look to them as a hero. Yeah. Um, And and yet you do. Right. And I have those people in my life and everyone does. And the thing that's always it always reminds me of is to remember that, like, you probably have people in your life or I have people in my life that are looking up to me as a hero. And am I acting in a way that I actually deserve that? right it's sort of my own personal reminder um you know to myself that hey people are looking up to you whether that's my kids or my wife or people in my business there's people who are looking up to me and am i acting in a way that actually is deserving of that recognition
0: yeah so. joe polish calls it the first domino you may be the domino to someone else's uh, lineup so uh, yeah he talks about the domino effect he's very good at that
1: yeah absolutely cool so um Last question here then is your guiding principles. It's one of the things that makes heroes heroic um, is that they live by a code. You know, for instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the interview, want <laughs> to talk about top of one or two principles that you use regularly in your life, maybe a principle you wish you had known when you first started out on your hero's journey back when you were 16 on that, uh, <laughs> the bricklaying business. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. I think uh, I've only got one and um. Ask yourself the question, would you be proud to meet you in the street? And so I always want to be the man that I would be proud to meet. You know, I want to be honest. I want to be straightforward. I want to call it as it is. I want to be impossible to misunderstand. I want to be a true north as, as much as I can. So always strive to be the man that, that you would be proud to meet.
1: That, that is a, a really good way to say that. Um, and, and it, it's, you know, it ties right into that, you know, first domino. You're right. You want to be that kind of person that, yeah. uh, that, that you're happy to be, be around, that you'd be, you would invite yourself to dinner, right? Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> uh, cool. So that's basically a wrap on our interview, but I do finish every interview with a simple challenge that I call the heroes challenge. And I do this selfishly to help myself get access to stories I might not otherwise find. So the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life and your network? That you think has a cool entrepreneurial story. Who are they? First names are fine, and why do you think they should come share their story here on the Hero Show?
0: You have probably have not... a big list. Oh, yeah, that, that, that that's a <laughs> that's a tough that's a tough thing to come up with. Um, and that takes some thought. Um, it's one of those things that I need to reflect on the conversation that we've had, the arena that you're talking to. So I'm going to hold back on that until I've actually previewed <laughs> uh, my, my list a little bit more. I don't want to suddenly go, Oh, Robert, you know, and then go, well, hang on a minute, Barry would be better off. So that needs a little bit more thought than an instant art. That can't be an <laughs> e-jerk reaction. That is, that is
1: totally fine. I don't generally have a lot of people who have the kind of network that you have. So that's a, you know, I'll let you, I'll <laughs> let you slide on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in, in comic books, there's always the send off, right? There's the crowd of people at the end who are cheering on the hero and, and clapping them, you know, thank them for their work. So as we close, what I want to do is find out where can people find you? Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey, Steve, I really need your help. I'd like you to either come speak to my group or I'd like to read your book, um, you know, who? and so more importantly than I think, you know, where they can find you is who are the right types of people to raise their hands and say, hey, Steve, I'd like some help from you.
0: Well, I'm looking for creative disruptors that are aggravated at where they are now. Um, They can find me on my Entrepreneurs Advantage Facebook page. They can go to stevedsims.com and it'll have all the links to everything from Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. But I'm really easy to find at stevedsims.com or any of the social platforms around there. But if you're comfortable, if you've settled, then don't reach out. Um, If you're aggravated and you think there should be more, And again, I said earlier that you are the combination of the room. If you want to make sure you're in the right room, then get in my rooms. Um, You may want me personally, so you need to head over to simsdistillery.com for that. But other than that, an entrepreneur's advantage is usually the best bit.
1: Awesome. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Steve. It has been fascinating getting to hear your story and the things that you've done in your life. So um, thank you for coming on. And before we hit this little stop record button, you have any final uh, words of wisdom for our audience?
0: Yeah, let's finish it off with my dad. My dad once said to me, big, thick um, British uh, builder, he said to me once, son, no one ever drowned by falling in the water. They drown by staying there. <laughs>
1: That's good. Thank you very much, Steve. I really appreciate your time today.